It is good to be with you. Our hearts uh, are still grateful for Easter faith and seeking and longing for the Easter hope that comes from the Easter experience. With that in mind, let me ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the first letter from Simon Peter in chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 3. From verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by His great mercy, He has given us a new birth, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance which is imperishable and undefined and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, though perishable, is tested by fire, that the genuineness of your faith may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. Although you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you trust him, you believe in him. And rejoice with an indescribable and joyous, glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The text is rooted in resurrection faith. It starts this way, if I could just paraphrase a few pieces. It first says this, bless God. Now, most of us in the Protestant tradition especially, we bless the food or ask God to bless the food. Uh, Hebrew folk bless God. They honor and acknowledge and celebrate with thanks the gift and the wonderful thing that God has done. And so he blesses God. And not just notice, not just some generic notion of God, not, not one of the many ideas about God. Uh, people sometimes ask me, uh, knowing that I teach a little theology, are you worried about people who don't believe in God? And, and honestly, uh, that's not my first worry. Uh, my, my first worry is they would believe in one of the endless varieties of gods out there. But notice the God that Simon is blessing is the God who's revealed to us as a father through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And bless this father and and we bless him because as well we know now through jesus christ who he is and his character in a way that we could never have anticipated just before we needed god to show us more through his son and his son has been faithful to do that and we rest today upon god's mercy if there's any question about this whole venture of faith and everything that God is doing, we need to understand this. We rest today upon the idea of God's mercy. Everything depends upon His grace and His mercy. 
And the way he has demonstrated his grace and mercy is sending his son. And his son lived and took the full brunt of death on our behalf. And then God raised him from the dead. And he is victorious now over all the enemies that we cannot beat on our own. And so we give acknowledgement and we bless this merciful God who has acted in his mercy to send Jesus and his victory over death. And that's how we're given this new life. We're given birth and, and God is our father. The text images this again a time or two for us. God is our father and, and he makes us alive. He brings us alive and the vehicle he uses to make us alive is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ as manifested in the resurrection. And the faithfulness of God to His Son as manifested in the resurrection. We have a living hope. Now, lots has been said about hope along the way, and, and I know we're desperate for hope. But again, like with God, I'm not just op, uh, optimistic about any sort of hope, some kind of, uh, uh, kind of willpower sort of hope or whatever. I am interested in finally trusting this hope that comes and stems from the living Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us this new life. And this new life is what gives us a hope that is not sort of dormant and lifeless. Just looking down the road, waiting, wondering if something will happen or not happen. It's not that sort of dormant, lifeless hope. Instead, it is an animated hope brought to life like we're brought to life by the good news and mercy of Jesus Christ through the power of the resurrection, we're raised and we have this living hope. There was a preacher here in town not that many years ago who used to tell great illustrations along the way. I remember one for sure that I heard. He was picking up a grandkid and they did that kind of thing that you do sometimes. The, uh, the child will drive part of the way, the parent will drive and along the way they'll exchange the grandkids and so they had made the handoff and granddad and granddaughter were heading back home and he said something like this you think grandma will have something special when we get home and a big smile came over her and she said hope so and you know that more captures the idea of biblical hope it's not some hope against hope, but it's a hope that's rooted in the character of who grandma is. This one is not really that worried about whether there'll be something special for her when she gets there. She's just anticipating with a confidence that it will be there. And she can be sort of smug and confident now uh, with this kind of grin on her face, knowing what's ahead because she knows who grandma is by now. And she knows who granddad is. And she knows he would not have said something like that unless something were up. And Christian hope is more this kind of confident assurance that we've learned to love and we've learned to trust. And now we can look ahead and we live in light of this hope. And notice uh, the picture that uh, uh, Peter paints for us here of salvation is really that final stage of salvation. That salvation when, that happens when it's all wrapped up. Now, he anchors that, that we have this new birth, and Baptists have talked mostly about that. We have been saved. But there's also a New Testament sense in which we can say we're in the process of being saved. And then also this final sense that we will be saved when the work of God is finished in us one day at the return of Christ, I believe. 
that will all be wrapped up. And so all this to say, the idea is this. We have now a hope within us that's animated. It, it's living. And people who share this wonderful hope live differently. They may look ahead to the final promise being made good on, but they're not prisoners and impoverished. They now live now in the confidence of what's coming. And it is this beautiful and living hope. You're also uh, brought this new birth, and this new birth is not only into the living hope, it's also into an inheritance. And it's a wonderful inheritance. This is our destiny. Again, sort of Simon Peter sort of anchors this toward the end. It's an inheritance that you will not be robbed of. Death will not rob you because it's imperishable. Evil will not rob you because it's undefiled, incorruptible. And time will not rob you of it because it is unfading. And if that's not enough, the image here that Simon paints for us is this. God is the one who's guarding this project. God is the one who is actively, with military kind of imagery, I mean real force behind it, uh, he is watching, keeping guard, and I have a confidence that what's begun in me now will end up achieving the destiny that God has for me, not because of my own sort of confidence or whatever, but because there's a trustworthy and powerful God who is overwatching the whole product. I am going to make it because I'm kept by the love of God. And that's why I think I'll make it. And so this salvation is so rich and so wonderful. Uh, your English translations don't capture it, but the, uh, ne the next little image is there that we're also, we're born again, not only into the living hope, but the, into this inheritance, but also into this salvation. And this salvation, as it's pictured, is so very good. It's begun in this new birth. But in the meantime, while we're waiting on the victory in Christ to be complete, Simon is very aware that folks struggle. And verse 6 gives you a picture that there are trials that they face. We're not sure exactly from reading Simon's letter what these trials are. Perhaps it's living in a, in a world where there's a non-Christian majority, non majority that's uh, hostile to them and doesn't understand them and misunderstands them at, at each turn. But along the way, they know trials and persecutions and hardship. And this salvation is great. And it is good. And notice... Simon observes this, that even during this difficulty, there is an abiding Christian joy. And he argues that we ought to have this sort of joy. He suggests that we, and instructs us to take joy in these matters, because even these things that we suffer as trials along the way, and the gone wrongness of this present moment and in this conflicted and compromised world, there is still this abiding confidence that what we face here, when we face it with faith and joy, will only refine us and prepare us. And one day we'll have the great privilege of seeing that the faithfulness we've shown when times were hard 
will even give greater glory and honor to this God who fathers uh, Jesus Christ and, and now has brought us to life and one day will send this Jesus Christ back as Lord to accomplish and finish everything begun here. This is a beautiful, beautiful hope. I want just to say a word about living hope. There's so many things I, I wish I had time to say. I, I would just tell you story after story of amazing things that happen because this is not a dormant hope of, again, some lifeless, uh, joyless kind of wonder whether a promise will be kept or not. But it is a joy that is so front-end loaded. It is, it is so filled with this new life that God has given us that it causes people to live profoundly. I thought for some reason this week about St. Patrick. Uh, he was a young man of about 16, not far from his home in England, and he was captured by pirates or traitors, probably Irishmen, but if they weren't Irish pirates, they soon traded him, and he spent some years, at least six years, we believe, in Ireland. And later, uh, the Lord spoke to him. He was brought up in a Christian environment, but the Lord spoke to him and uh, in, inspired him to make his getaway. And eventually, after six years, he did. He had to travel some 200 miles to the coast, finally talk somebody into taking him back. But eventually, he made his way to England and reunited with his fa a family. But when they found him, they just didn't get their son back. They got a son who was vibrant and alive with hope, whose whole life was going to be lived differently because of the confidence, the living hope of the gospel. And St. Patrick schools himself and tries to catch up for not having the kind of education he might have had otherwise, uh, but readies himself for faith and gospel. And you know in time where this story takes you, don't, don't you? This person goes back to the very place where he was held as a slave but goes there now with the victorious living hope of the gospel and shares that hope. And part of what he does there builds a little isolated place where a lot of Christian tradition is safeguarded. And when groups of barbarians come and invade Europe, those people are now called Europeans, uh, but part of their answer is this, they are in time converted to this faith of Christianity and they are in no small part converted because some of the ideas fostered and developed in Ireland under Patrick's care were shared with those barbarians who were coming to faith. And I just want to say to you, a living hope, a living hope is manifested in a life that nobody could anticipate and nobody would ever ask somebody to go back in that environment and so on. But a living hope would change a person's life and direct a person's life. I want to suggest to you and bear witness to you that I too have a living hope. I don't know that I'll ever know the grandeur or testimony of a St. Patrick, but I just want to bear testimony to you as someone who does bear the Christian hope. And as a testimony to the resurrection I want to say to you that I believe and there's so many things about believing the empty tomb is important 
no doubt the most important thing for me is the encounters with the risen living Jesus. That's what changed the apostles' minds and hearts and made them reorient their lives. There are other things. We mentioned the angelic word from, from the angel in, in, in last week's uh, uh, sermon. Uh, there are other things that could be added to this list. The transforming effect of uh, Christianity upon Christians, these earliest witnesses, the uh, kind of authenticity of these, these simple biblical reports that don't short, show any forced harmonization or any in, in kind, of, uh, uh, kind of fixing, but just simply bear the honest testimony of eyewitness people along the way. They have seen the risen Lord. And I too would add to that experience of, or that litany of reasons that Christian experience is a justification, I think, for believing in the resurrection. I don't ground my experience just there. But I will just tell you this. I bear the experience and the witness of the, to the experience that so many people have. We have a living hope. I believe in Jesus. And I think he is alive. I think I can know the privilege of his presence at times. I think I've known seasons and moments when I've disappointed him. And since that displeasure, I think I know other occasions in my life when I know the warmth of his presence and the encouragement and even the breeze of his healing spirit to remedy and, and, and to and to restore me. And I just want to say to you. I'm not a particularly intuitive person in spiritual matters. I've kind of come this way dragging uh, slowly by the spirit and the faith that has moved me and moved me and carried me. When I didn't know how to go forward. But I've come to this place where what began is sort of a venture. Are you really there? And I'm trusting you and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm extending this care to you. And this faith in you. And sort of wondering what would happen. And, and now through time. Not because I'm some sort of spiritual guru or whatever. But just in time. These things have grown and taken root in me. And now I find this experience sort of irrepressible. I want to say to you that I have a living hope. Because I think I relate to a living Jesus. And believers across the world, different as they are, coming from so many different experiences, they come, though, with this confidence that Jesus is not dead, that he is alive. And I bear witness to that and give testimony to that. And I just want to say to you, like in verse 8, we don't get to see him now. We're in that sense, second-handers. We receive the testimony of someone else. It brings to mind the uh, passage in chapter 20 of John where Thomas, remember him, he was gone for the first time when Jesus appeared, but there in the second time, and Jesus confronts him and sort of, uh, sort of corrects him or scolds him uh, and says, now stop this persistent unbelieving and believe and shows him the evidence and he, I believe, is overwhelmed by the sight of the risen Lord and makes his profession of faith, my Lord and my God. And Jesus goes on to tell him, you know, I'm going to send you to go and give this story to people who will not have the privilege to do what you did. To sit back and say, well, when I see it firsthand, that's when I'll join up. 
Instead, they will receive the testimony of others and they will entrust themselves to the story of Jesus being risen. They'll believe, though they haven't seen. And this seems to be what's in Peter's mind here. They don't see him. We don't see him. But we love him. We don't see him now. but We trust him. The order may be important there. And I just want to say to you, I don't believe that I hold to a hope that is sort of this, again, lifeless hope that just wishes against all evidence to the contrary that something good will someday come along. I'm not selling positive thinking. I am selling a faith in the God who has manifested himself in Jesus Christ that he can begin this new life in us, that he can sustain us, that he can prepare us for a great inheritance, that he'll keep us and guard us till the day when salvation has run its whole course. And we can even now, with this new life, live out hope. Now, I exercised a lot of care. I don't know if you know it or not, but it's hard for me not to tell, talk about my grandkids. And I, uh, though, I just have to bring one up uh, this, uh, this uh, day. And I mentioned that my granddaughter was disappointed this week when they, she saw a person that she hadn't seen in a while on the screen, was happy to do that, and energetic and came up and started saying, um, you know, speaking to her and so on, but was very disappointed when the person didn't speak back. Uh, my granddaughter's been coached by a lot of FaceTime with grandparents and, and uh, a lot of Zoom and uh, other kind of meetings that we have. And she just didn't quite understand that what was before her was a video. And it's something that didn't speak back. And I just want to say to you, I'm not spiritually attuned. I don't think I'm sensitive in these areas. There's nothing special about my experience, but I do want to say to you to this. This would be profound enough if God had just sent us a message. But a living hope is experienced this way by me. It's not that I just don't root myself and trust the message that I've received. But I think there's really something interactive. I don't know. I don't just know Jesus. I think Jesus knows me. And I relate to a living Lord. And I have a living hope. And Simon encourages us. We should not live with indifference anymore. We should live with the confidence of the hope. And a new birth that has begun in us. And this birth gives us great, great, great privileges. A living hope. A living vibrant hope. A great inheritance. A destiny of salvation. This is what is before us. This is our destiny. And that should in us stir a life that's alive. There's a famous preacher, Donald Gray Barnhouse. He lived years ago and taught in the, preached a, a long career in the city of brotherly love. He lost his wife when his daughter was quite young. And so he did his best to raise his daughter. He tells a story, and I've struggled to understand the story along the way. 
but he was always looking for opportunities to kind of help his daughter understand and, and uh, cope with the difficulty that they both knew. And one day when they were driving, a truck came especially close to their car, and um, it did not hit them, but the shadow of that truck seemed to completely overtake their car for a moment, and for a moment they were completely in its shadow. And for reasons I don't completely understand uh, from, from hearing it, something provoked uh, Donald Barnhouse, uh, Barnhouse to say this to his daughter. Is it better to get hit by the truck or just to have its shadow pass over you? And she answered immediately, well, Dad, it, it's so much better just to be in the shadow of the truck. I mean, uh, if you get hit by the truck, we could be injured. We could even be killed. And, and uh, it might have been frightening, but the, it was so much better just to have the shadow pass over us. And then he went on to say, well, that's what I think has happened to your mother. I don't think she took the full impact of death. I think instead its shadow has passed over her. He goes on to tell his daughter, I think your mother's alive. In fact, I think your mother's more alive now than she's ever been in the entire time she's lived. And he went on to paint a destiny where he and she, father and daughter, could look forward to a time when they would share in this great inheritance an unfading, imperishable, undefiled heritage and a salvation kept for them and a presence with one another before the Lord. And Tim Keller, in telling this story, is uh, provocative in his way. He, he goes back and thinks through the story, and he says, I wonder if the story wouldn't suggest this, that Jesus Christ, he, he didn't just have the shadow pass over him. He, he got hit by the truck at all. He took death in its full blunt, but faced it for us and defeated it for us. And now everyone who finds new life in him. Well, I don't want to make light. But I just want to say this. It's the shadow of death passing over us. Death will not defeat us. Death will not be the end of us. Death will not write the final story in the chapter of your story. But the living hope that resides in the faithful hearts of people who know Jesus Christ will be found to be true. And that living hope is a testimony to his faithfulness already. And there's inheritance that follows and a salvation that will one day be known in full when we are before Jesus, before the Lord, and we will know him and we will see that this living faith is tied to a living Jesus. Victorious. Victorious even over death. And I issue you this challenge. If never before, if you've been on the sidelines of faith, I just challenge you and I call you to awaken your heart and to just accept this sort of challenge to let faith be stirred in you and show your resolve that, God, I will trust you with who I am. Jesus, I will trust you. I'm entrusting my life to you. And that may seem like a feeble beginning, but the satisfaction I have from just saying it is that again and again, I found that this Jesus is one we can trust. 
And that Jesus that you start with on your journey is the Jesus who one day you will love and you will trust even though you don't see him for now. I pray that living faith is brought to life in us through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, would you stir us? Would you move us? Would you give us and grant us by your mercy a new life and new hope, new inheritance, a new destiny of salvation? We pray it in the name of this living, reigning Lord Jesus. Amen.